0: How we doing, everybody good? Good, good, glad you're here, glad you're here. Ken and Jasper, if you've got a Bible, open it up to 1 John chapter four. Again, if you don't know where that's at, it's at the back of your Bible. So if you get to the book of Revelation, you've gone too far. So 1 John, we've been teaching through since Memorial Day, just 1 John, and then we'll get into 2 John and 3 John by the time we get to Labor Day. So just taking these three letters and talking about these three and what they mean for us as a church. And I've told you several times, these are just circular. They kinda go over and over again the same topics, which is great, because I've been told that we need to be told things seven times before we get it, all right? So I'm so glad that God put John in the Bible for us to get it. So as you have your Bible there, 1 John chapter four, we're gonna end up or kinda close out chapter four and jump into chapter five because it's just one flow of thought. And so we'll get into the last few verses of chapter four starting in verse 17, then we'll work our way into 1 John chapter five, verse five. Before we do that though, would you pray with me as we get started? Father, thank you for loving us, thank you for who you are. God, I pray that as we open your word, as always, God, you would open our eyes. We know that this is your word. Help me to uh, communicate it uh, the way that you intended it for it to be communicated, God. And I pray as we listen to it, that you would open up our eyes and our ears to hear and to see the truth in it, God, because we know that you have given us this word for your glory and for our good. And so, God, I pray that as we uh, learn and study again, God, that you would help us to live by it. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, we're going to jump right in, and this message is going to pick right up where we left, left off last weekend when we ended in verse 16, and you'll see why as I read verse 17. It says, by this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. He says, by this is love perfected in us. Again, he's referring back to verse 16. And so when he says, by this, your natural inclination is to say, by what? Right? So go ahead and say, by what? what? Glad you asked. I'm going to answer that. And so by what he's referring back to 16, where he says, we have come to know and believe the love God has for us. Now, this is an important distinction and one that I think so often in church as believers, we forget. Because what we normally think of Christianity or how we base whether or not we are Christians is we think like this, we've come to know and believe the love we have for him. So most often we think the basis of our faith is our love for him. And so therefore we don't really know if we're good enough, if we've measured up, if am I a believer, have I loved him enough to where John over and over says, no, 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 you need to understand something. It's the exact opposite. The basis of how we're perfected in love is when we come to know and believe the love he has for us, not the love we have for him. And so I would venture to say it's not that you don't love him enough. It's that you haven't come to know and believe how much he loves you. That's the basis of what it means to be a believer, to come to know and believe the love God has for you, the love God has for me. And John says, by this... We're perfected, or love is perfected with us. And this word perfected, I told you this last week, means to have its effect, to come to completion, to accomplish. And so the idea is that not only do we need to come to know and believe the love God has for us, but that love is working in us. It's perfecting in us. It's accomplishing something in us. And that thing that it's accomplishing, he says here when he gives us the purpose statement of saying, so that... So look back at it again, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. So we may have confidence. Now, this day of judgment, sometimes in the Bible, it'll just capitalize it. It, And a lot of times when it does that, it doesn't have the qualifier of judgment. Just see the day. But here it just says the day of judgment. Now, what's interesting is this word here, judgment, is the Greek word literally crisis. Now, what English word do you think we brought that over into English? Crisis. You guys are so smart. All right. Yeah. Crisis. So think about it like this. He says, to give us confidence for the day of crisis. Now we know what a crisis is in our lives. Right? And to that, I would say it's one thing to have a crisis. It's another thing to live in crisis. You and I don't get to determine whether or not we have a crisis, but we do get to determine whether or not we live in one. Mm -hmm. And so I love how John says here, we have confidence for the day of crisis. Now, this word here, crisis, in Greek means literally like the day of decision, the day of a legal decision, the day of judgment, the day where something is decided. Now, here's what's very interesting, though. You go look up the English word crisis. And I just did this on dictionary.com, so you can do this as well. Not right now. You can do it later, because then you'll be tempted to check Facebook or something, right? But here's the first definition of the English word crisis when you go look it up. Now, you have to listen to me, and I'll explain it. But listen to the definition. A stage in a sequence of events at which the trend of all future events, especially for better or for worse, is determined. Another way to say it is a turning point. So think about this. He says we have confidence in the day of judgment, the day of crisis, and our definition of the word is a stage in a sequence of events, means there's going to be a point in time where a determination is made on that day, and that determination will determine all future events after it. It'll determine all future events after it, whether good or bad. So when John's writing this, I think his point is to give us confidence that in that day of crisis, there will be a determination for us who have come to know and believe the love of God, that all future events from that day will be good. That is what it means to have confidence to know when you meet God, that that crisis, you'll have the confidence to stand. Now, here's what I want us to see. If in Christ we can have confidence in that crisis, don't you think that we could have confidence in whatever crisis we're facing now? Because can you think of a worse crisis than that? The day of judgment? I mean, think about it like this. You and I, we will stand before God alone, ourselves, not with our moms, not with our dads, not with whoever, us and God. The Bible says it is appointed for every man to face judgment. And is there anything more terrifying than a sinner standing in the presence of a holy and perfect God who created the universe by speaking? I mean, talk about crisis, now, there are people today who say, you know what? I don't believe that. I don't believe there is a God. I don't believe that we'll face judgment. To that, I would say, die and see if it's true and come back and tell us. Right Until that point, you're banking on faith that there is no crisis coming. But the Bible is saying, yes, there is a crisis coming. Yes, you will face judgment. But here's the good news. Christ has overcome the crisis. And since he's overcome the crisis, you and I can have confidence. Why? I love how he says this. Look back at it. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. Now think about that. Why in the world? That's an astounding statement, isn't it? And why would John say that? As he is, notice he didn't say as he was. He didn't say past tense, as he was in this world. No, no, no. He says, as he is, which is present tense, which means as he is right now in the other world, so are we in this world. Now think about that. As he is. Now the Bible talks about things like this. The Bible will say things that we will become as he is. Now, that doesn't mean as he is in his godness, as he is in his immutable qualities. We do not believe that we will become a god. There are some religions who claim to be Christians that claim that. That is not what John is saying. And we know that's not what John is saying because contextually, and I'll point it out to you in just a second, because he's not talking about becoming like Jesus in his person, he's talking about becoming like Jesus in his relationship to the Father. So as he is, which means he's a son, we are as he is into this world. Romans 8.15, you don't have to turn there. You can just write it down as a reference. says it like this. You did not receive a spirit of fear to fall back into slavery, but the spirit of adoptions as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So when God gave you the Holy Spirit, what he was doing is he was sealing the relationship so that now when he sees you, all he sees is a son or a daughter because of the sacrifice that the son made on your behalf as a sinner, this is what's amazing about the gospel. The son became a sinner so that sinners could become sons. He became as we are, which is what Hebrew says, why he put on flesh and blood and dwelt among us so he might be like us. Why? Because God, the spirit cannot die. So he had to put on the flesh so that he could pay a sacrifice for our sin who were sold to the slavery of sin. And now that since he paid that, he came back to life again. He sits at the right hand of the father as he relates to God, the father. Now we can relate to God, the father. Now, here's what I want you to see. You should personalize this. And I want you to understand this is not heretical to do so. You're not changing the scriptures. You're just applying it. So it could read like this. I'm gonna read it for me personally. Because as Jesus is, so also is Jason in this world. Now, you do that for yourself. If you've come to know and believe the love that God has for you, you could say, as Jesus is, so are, so am I, and you feel in your own name, in this world. You know what that means. I now have the confidence to face any crisis, because my God overcame all crisis, and as He is right now, so am I. In this world, we talk about crisis like a crisis of confidence. I'm having a crisis of confidence, and so often is because we're basing our confidence on our ability to be strong. But what I'm saying to you is this. This is why the Bible talks like when you're weak, you're strong. What does that mean? I have no confidence in the flesh, Paul says. All my confidence is in Christ, and his confidence is strong. He's got a strong confidence game. And if he has that, I have that in him. So when I'm facing any crisis in my life, I can face it with confidence because this crisis pales in comparison to that crisis when I'll stand before God. And if I have confidence for that day, then I can have confidence for this day. You see how that works? Now, John continues. Look at this verse 18 and 19. He says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear or cast out fear for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. There is no fear in love. Now, the word there for fear is the Greek word phobos. What English word do you think that we say? Phobia, yes. We talk about phobias, and the word phobia, if you look that up, simply means fear. So in Greek, the word for fear is phobia. In English, the word for phobia is fear, or the word for fear is phobia. So we talk about phobias, and you, I don't know if you know this, but there's all kinds of phobias out there. In fact, I just printed off a couple of them. Some of them are very uh, understandable, and you'll know what they are. Some of them are quite strange and weird. Here's one that we all know. It's the number one phobia in the world, arachnophobia, fear of what? Spiders. spiders. Yes, fear of spiders. And, and just a word uh, ladies are four times more fe- uh, fearful or four times more to have this fear than men. So if you're a man, I'm, I'm just saying, all right? Um, <laughs> here's the second one, and that, you have to understand, I, I, you know, trying to say these words is tough. Literally one of these was a really long word that I couldn't say, and it's the fear of long words. I kid you not. <laughs> here's another one though. Uh, Orphodophobia, I'm not saying that correctly. I know I'm not, but it's the fear of snakes. The second highest fear. Understandable. I don't like snakes either. They're cursed. So (laughs) here's one. Acrophobia. Fear of heights. Yeah, very common. Again, these are like in the top five. Here's some that are way down the list that are very interesting that I didn't know were phobias. Nomophobia. This one is the fear of being without mobile phone coverage. I know some of y'all got that. Right? I thought that was interesting. Listen to this one. Onphalophobia. This is the fear of belly buttons. Touching and looking at navels. I kid you not. Two more. Antedeaophobia. This one is so strange. Fear of being watched by a duck. I didn't know that that was legit. Last one, and I'm just gonna leave this one here. Pentherophobia, That's the fear of mother-in-laws. All right. So let's just uh, let's just move on. There, move on. But here's what the Bible's saying. There's no phobia in love. There's no phobia in love. Why? For or but love, perfect love, cast out fear. Perfect love. Perfect love. Talking about how God loves us perfectly. Perfect love, cast out. I love this word, cast out. It means to remove forcibly. Here's what John is saying. When you have come to know and believe perfect love, it casts out the fears. So if you are having fears, God's not asking you to cast them out. He's asking you to come to know and believe how much he loves you. And you come to know and believe how much he loves you. His perfect love will cast it out. Why? Because there's no phobia in love. When you know you are loved by the creator of the universe who died on the cross for your sins and you have confidence for that day of crisis, what do you have to fear? The worst someone can do is kill you, and even that is an upgrade. I mean, right? This is why Paul says in Romans, death, where's your sting? The fear of death is gone because Jesus overcame death. And so when he's talking about love, what he's saying is this should have a profound effect in your life. And the profound effect is that you become so confident in this love. Now, I love how you can tie this into 1 Peter 5, 7. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That word there, casting, is the same word here. Throw out. Remove forcibly. So when the love of God comes to you and you have confidence in the love of God, the reason why the fear leaves is because you cast those anxieties right on him. And that word there to cast in Peter is talking about God is now responsible for it. You want to know why you and I have anxieties? Because we think we're still responsible for everything. But when you cast it back on him, you're like, God, this is your deal. Yeah, I'm in this crisis right now. I know this crisis didn't catch you off guard, but this is your deal. You got to come through, and I know you're going to come through because either you're going to change this situation or I'm going to die, and even that, I see you. This is why Paul says, what can you do to me? I'd rather be with Christ, but if not, I'll stay here for the sake of others. What can you? The worst thing you can do is kill me, and I'd be like, I'm going to see Jesus. So here's what he's saying. Now, think about this, because all this is not the sermon. This is so interesting. All this is the setup for what he's going to say next. Now, I'm not saying if you have anxieties or you have fears that you're somehow less than. Please don't hear me say this. What I'm saying is, if you have those things, you have to come to know and believe even deeper the love God has for you. Because in coming in, knowing to believe that he will cast that out as you cast them back on him. So this is not, you're not a good enough Christian. No, this is saying love just hasn't been perfected in you yet. It hasn't been accomplished in you yet. And the good news is if it hasn't been accomplished yet, he who began a good work in you will complete it. So that's all the setup. That's all the basis of where he goes next. Look at verse 19, 19 and 20. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us, which means there's no way we could love unless he first loved us. God went first. Therefore, verse 20, if anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Liar, liar, pants on. I don't know why we say that, but you know it helps us to remember it. Why? For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. Now, I told you everything that we had just said in 17 and 18 is a setup for 19 and 20. What is his argument here? Listening to the way John logically applies this truth. If you've come to know and believe the love God has for you, so that you'll have confidence in a crisis, especially that day of crisis. And that love has perfected its its way in you to where you're no longer fearing anxieties or being cast out. And now as a result of that love having its effect in you, you're going to love. We love because he first loved us. God went first. We go second. And even when we go second, it's God's spirit working in us. This is why John can confidently say, if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. A liar about what? Look at this contextually about what he said. If anyone says, that's the title of my message this week. If anyone says, I love God, Yet hates his brother, he's lying about what he said. He's lying. Now, don't shoot the messenger. I didn't call you a liar. God did. Here's why. If that kind of love has come to you, why are you so afraid to love others? Isn't this interesting? Those who are the rudest to others, those who put down others, show that they're insecure. We know this from middle school. Some of us didn't learn it in middle school because we were the ones doing it. But if I can't love somebody, if I can't sacrifice myself for somebody, if I can't humble myself to love somebody, then I am showing I'm not secure in the love he has for me. And I need you to love me. And the whole reason I'm trying to manipulate you is to get something from you. And if that's the case, then I'm not secure and I have confidence in the love he has for me. Let me say it to you very personally here. And I don't mean this in any way arrogant. I want all of you to love me. It's not wrong to want somebody to love you, but I don't need you to. I want my wife to love me. I want my kids to love me, but I don't need them to. You want to know why? Because when you need that, you can't lead them. You can't lead them to what's best for them because you will always be manipulating them for yourself. But when you're so secure in the love that God has for you, you will have no problem loving your brother, loving your sister, loving your neighbor as yourself. It just will happen naturally. Why? Because you're so secure in who God is for you. So here's how John's practically working this out. If you say you love God, but yet practically you're not loving your brother, then you don't love God. You're a liar. Why? Because how can you love whom you don't see when you don't love who you do see? Because you want to know those who you do see, whose image they were made in? The one that you don't see. This is why throughout the entire Bible, the love of God and the love of others is so interwoven. Just like Jesus said in Matthew 22 when he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. He said all the law, all the prophets, hang on, these two. How can you say that? Now listen to his argument, he goes on, verse 21. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother, Chapter five, verse one. This is why we connected them together. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Now listen to this next statement. And whoever loves the father loves whoever has been born of him. You know what he's saying? Whoever claims to love the father yet hates his kids doesn't love the father. If you came up to me and said, Jason, I love you, but I can't stand your kids. I would say, you don't love me then. Cause those are my kids. And if one of my kids says to another one of my kids, I hate you, but then they turn around and say to me, they love me. I would say, you don't love me because you love me. You would love her. I've got a boy and a girl, a son and a daughter. If my son hates on my daughter, I would say to my son, she is my little princess. I love her. I would die for her. I would sacrifice for her. And if you love me, you'll love her because I love her. And if you say you love me, but you don't love her, you don't love me. And if I say to my daughter who likes to pick on her older brother and call him smelly and all those other things, if she says that she loves me and then says, I hate him, then I would say, you don't love me. Because I remember the day that he was born and my entire world changed when I saw him sitting there in the little nursery and all these emotions came out of my eyeballs. And I would die for that kid. I would sacrifice for that kid. i do it every day with my wallet, right? I mean. <laughs> But you can't say you love me if you don't love him. Now again, apply this to God. God has a bunch of kids that he loves. And newsflash, he doesn't love you more than he loves your enemy. And God's saying, if you don't love her, if you don't love him, you don't love me, because I love her. I love him, and my son died for them, and I love my son. So think about this, if that person is in Christ and you don't love them, you hate Christ. Have you thought about it like that? You're like, no, dude, I just thought they were annoying. I didn't, I mean, I like wasn't, <laughs> wasn't going all theological on this. Well, you need to. You wanna know why? Because if you've been born of him, you're gonna love everybody who's been born of him. Because they're his child just like you are. And this is why most churches get so toxic because there's a bunch of God's kids running around hating each other. And I'm just here to say say to you, if you say you love him and you hate them, you're a liar. He goes on, verse two and three. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Now this is important to understand. Again, listen to John's logic. The love God has for you, you'll be confident. That confidence is going to result in a love for others and that love for others is God's command. It's almost like he's building this out here. It's amazing. And notice it didn't say, whoever loves God takes God's commandments as great suggestions. Most people think Christianity is good advice, not good news. No, this is not a suggestion. As I tell my kids, that wasn't a suggestion, homie. That was a command. And if you love me, you'll obey my command. What's his command? Love your brother. Again, this is what bothers me when people talk about God and all his commands. Now, granted, I get it. You read the Old Testament. There's a lot of commands in there. But understand, the only reason why God had to put all those commands in is because we invented new ways to sin. In the beginning, he only gave one command with two parts, or you could say two commands. One in the positive, be fruitful and multiply. The best command God ever gave He just created the first marriage, the first man, the first woman, brought them together. He hadn't even clothed them yet. That comes later as a result of sin and shame. And he says, be fruitful and multiply. One chapter. And then we read in the next chapter, the other part of the command or the second one. He said, don't touch that tree. You can have all these trees. Be fruitful and multiply. Eat all these trees. Don't touch the one. God made it pretty simple. And then they touched it. You know the story. And then creates a nation out of Abraham, frees that nation, gives them the Ten Commandments. You look at the Ten Commandments. You think the Ten Commandments are some, like, ridiculous moral diatribe that is so hard to obey? Have you read them? Simple. No other gods before me, no images. First four have to do with loving God. Last six have to do with loving your neighbor. And even in the loving your neighbor part, it's pretty simple stuff. Hey, don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't sleep with your neighbor's wife. It's going to go better with you. Obey your parents. You look at that and you're like, oh, wow. And our nation was formed on the basis of those 10 commands. And then we somehow take them out like they're somehow you know, religious. You look at that and you're thinking, this is pretty basic human, human stuff. And we look at that and we say, God, it's so hard to be a Christian. God's saying it's not that hard when you know how much I love you. When you're secure in how much I love you, it's not that hard to love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're not confident in who God is for you, it's really hard. What am I saying? We make it way harder than it is. It's so simple. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, here's the thing. A lot of people will say, yeah, but you don't know my neighbor. <laughs> okay. What I do know is as you are God's neighbor and you were his enemy. So let me ask you this. Has that person done anything worse to you than you have done to God? No. Here's another thing people say. Well, that's just the way I am. Also, oh, being a jerk is just the way you are. And here's what's so amazing to me. People use that excuse like it somehow excuses them. Well, God made me this way. Well, guess what? When you were born, you were born a sinner. And if you've been born again, that's not how you are. That's how you were. But if you're now in Christ, you're now a new creation, creation, creature, creation. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So we can never say the excuse. That's just how I am. You want to know why? Because that's the world's excuse. This is just how I am. This is just how I feel. Yeah, I feel like punching you. Is that a reason? No. Again, I've got to go back to 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all anxieties. You know what verse 6 says? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you. So to say that's just who I am is to deny who Christ is in you and the power he has to transform you. And now the new you is a more humble version of you. The new you is a self-sacrificing you. The new you is a lifting up of others' you. That's what he's saying here. That's his command. And you wanna know why his commands aren't burdensome? Because he gave you the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit that enables you To now obey the command. So if you and I are having problems obeying the commands of loving others like ourselves, it's because we're sowing to our flesh and not the spirit. Because if we're sowing to the spirit, the result of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit, Galatians 5. Anybody want to know what the first one is? The fruit of the spirit is what? Love. Peace. Patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, those are now who you are in Christ. Why? Because when you love one another, you humble yourself and you sacrifice yourself, you lay down your life for your spouse, for your family, for your church... You're now showing to the world, I'm not who I was. I've got confidence now in who I am and who am I? I'm a child of God. Verse four and five, and we're done. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? My friends, your faith in God is shown by your love for others. And when you keep having faith in whatever crisis that you're in, and in that crisis, here's what you got to do. You have to do the opposite of what your flesh wants you to do. Your flesh wants you to attack back. Your flesh wants you to denigrate. Your flesh wants you to exalt yourself. But the Spirit of God says, humble yourself. Build up. Why? Because you've already overcome this. Your faith has already overcome this. Your faith to face that day of crisis will get you through this crisis. And maybe one of the reasons God has you in a crisis or brought a crisis is to remind you that he's still perfecting you. Because without that crisis, you would have thought you could do it without him. But now in that crisis, you go back down to your knees and it humbles you. And then that humility leads to loving others well. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this love Thank you for this unbelievable, otherworldly love. God, I want people to come to know and believe the love that you have for them. And you displayed that love on the cross. And now because of Jesus, we have no fear. But God, I know there are people in the house or listening or watching that have not come to know and believe that love. And it's shown by their frankness. It's shown by their anxiety. It's shown by their arrogance. But oh, if they would come to know and believe the love that you have for them, it would settle their heart. No fear. Confidence in who you are for them. So God, I pray right now if there's anybody here that has not trusted you, I pray that you would regenerate them, that by your spirit you would cause them to be born again. Open their eyes to see and believe the love you have for them. Nobody looking around or talking here as we close. If that's you, if you've never trusted Christ, then in just a second I'm gonna ask you to pray with me. I don't want you to do this out loud, but pray with me And this is your act of faith where you are asking God to save you and to love you and make you a child. So if that's you, if you wanna trust Christ and be saved, it goes like this, pray, God, thank you for loving me that you sent your son in my place for my sin. Help me to come to know and believe that you love me. I ask you to save me, forgive me. I give you my life. Now again, nobody looking around or talking, if you just prayed that with me, very simply, would you just lift your hand up so we can see that and know? Thank you, just leave them up just for a second. We got men and women walking around, gonna put a gift in your hand. When they do, you can put your hand down. Thank you. Now, for those of us which I suspect is a larger group that would say, I have come to know and believe the love God has for me, but maybe you're just wrestling with fear. Again, I want you to hear me say, if you have anxiety that doesn't make you less than, it just means love is still working in you. Love is still perfecting you. And so your prayer can be, God, help me to have confidence in who you are. Help me to cast this on you. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with love so that this fear is driven out. And then there are those of us that would say we love God, but we just have a hard time loving others. And again, maybe, maybe you need to go see a counselor. Maybe you need to go work through some stuff because I'm telling you, if you perpetually come off very unloving to others, it's because there's an unsettledness within you. Because when you know that God loves you, you have no problem loving others. And so maybe your prayer today is very simply, God, help me to love them the way you love them. Remind me of how you love me, and I didn't deserve it, I didn't earn it. But please don't ever think that if you say you love God and love your brother that you're, and hate your brother that you really love God. It's impossible, because if you love God, you'll love his kids. God, I thank you for loving us like this. There is no love like this on the planet. Nothing in this world can come close to it. So help us as a church to come to know and believe it, to receive it, and then help us to give it. But we can't give what we don't have. So remind us today, God, of how much you love us. And help us to be secure and rest in that, and then let us move forward in our relationships, in our friendships with others, God, to show them the love that you've extended to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.